Welcome to the Mad River Anthology. I'm Tim Ayers. Humboldt County poet Ian MacDonald has a rich life to draw from. Born in Scotland, an ex-merchant marine, he's coached soccer, teaches English, and in the next half hour, observes it all with poetry and conversation. Generation to Generation My father had the Gaelic, but never passed it on. Drawn south from the outer islands to a city of paid labour, he spoke a second tongue to get along, but, betrayed by accent, opened fully only amongst kinsmen, fellow dislocated souls recovering memory within their dance of language. Yet, as though in shame, he did not pass it on, and another rock tumbles from the dry stone wall of heritage. English strolls in, uncaring, and claims us for its own. The dissolution of a culture. Adept in the words of Shakespeare, I cannot pronounce the names of my country's mountains. This is called Leaving Scotland. Uh, goodbye, Dad, and I suppose it deals with the issue of uh, Celtic reticence, which men, especially I suppose men of my age, my generation, uh, are somewhat subject to. Uh, every summer when I go back home, a really good friend of mine I've known f since the age of six, he'll come and pick me up at the airport, and yeah, that's uh, getting on for half a century, 40 plus years, I mean. And we haven't seen each other from one end of the year to the next, and uh, we greet one another with a good, solid, manly handshake. There's, there's, there's none of that, none of that hugging stuff. Uh, so, having lived in California, I'm, I'm well aware that, um, and having had complete strangers tell me their life histories while I'm standing in a, a grocery line, I'm, I'm well aware that reticence is not a major feature, you know, of the, the native <laughs> Californian. So. Right tend to feel that perhaps a little more reticence wouldn't go amiss over here, but uh, <laughs> there can be too much of a good thing, which is kind of the point of this poem, I suppose. Um, so this is Leaving Scotland, Goodbye, Dad. We are not a race for tears. Though love may speak its name, it rarely dares, and men may hug only at football games. It is a dearth that has made us incompetent with rage and leaves us lonely as funerals. Yeah, I was born in Glasgow, uh, although my family moved from there when I was um, about six years old. Interesting city in terms of just its uh, kind of its reputation hard-earned for kind of uh, labor radicalism, Red Clyde side, the kind of uh, shipbuilding industry on the River Clyde. It's a city um, kind of split along religious grounds, uh, still a lot of religious bigotry and intolerance, and although hopefully that's improving somewhat. It's become more of a 21st century city. I think the young people are perhaps a little more in tune, a little more clued in with what really matters, uh, getting on with 
enjoying life and raising families and not so much on you know clubbing somebody over the head because he happens to go to a different church than you so um, left school just before I turned 17 and ended up going into the merchant marine also spent some time on a um, conservation ship uh, Sea Shepherd and uh, fell in love with a crew member there an uh, American woman I met there and uh, she'd gone to this very uh, <laughs> revered institution of Humboldt State and so <laughs> ended up coming coming over here to visit some friends of hers and saying hey this this is a pretty nice neck of the woods literally and figuratively so it's 20 plus years in Humboldt County uh, the last 13 of which I've been teaching here in Arcata at the high school yeah, so English with a Scottish accent America has this fascination with everything Celtic. We really love that. I mean, a lot of us have our roots, but even those right. roots can be really stretched, like St. <laughs> Patrick's Day especially. The yeah. music angle, I think, too. But we love it. We just love it. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's true. You get a lot of roots hunters over over there. You know, and, uh, and uh, yeah, the whole I Irish thing, certainly St. Patrick's Day is, is much bigger than any Scottish equivalent. In, in recent years, there's been some attempt... Uh, to come up with Tartan Day, this kind of huh. sad sack second class <laughs> version of St. Patrick's Day, you know. And, but yeah, the whole fascination. I mean, I mean, frankly, I was really freaked out by river dance. It oh. just seemed, it seemed like you know, step dancing meets the Nuremberg rallies or something. It was just way, way too much leather, and, and I don't know. Just that was that was pretty weird. I grew up with soccer, although of course it's called football over over by. Uh, and then when I came to this country, uh, I was a high school soccer coach in this area for ten years. And and the way soccer is developing in this country, uh, and it is developing, and and I, I certainly welcome that. But it's kind of socioeconomically, it's very different from in Europe, where it's very even now. It's still pretty much uh, is a male-dominated culture, although there's more and more women getting into it. But it's still very much a blue-collar, kind of a working-class thing, and mm -hmm. it's kind of like boxing in a way. It's a way for a kid to get out of the slums, you know, in Glasgow or mm. Belfast or Liverpool or Manchester. You know, if you can if you can play football, then you can, you know, you can get the bright lights. Um, but over here, of course, I mean, you even get the term the soccer mom, you know, and, and folks being ferried you know, hundreds of miles to play in these <laughs> tournaments. And I, I'm not really meaning to knock it because there's there's great people involved and there's some really good players and coaches and all the rest. It's just very, very different from what I'm accustomed to. Um, and so I, I wrote this from the perspective of a soccer coach, and it's not meant to be myself, although it, it is a uh, soccer coach who's not an American. By, and it is based somewhat on someone I know. But it's, it's the notion of someone who's played the game at the highest level elsewhere coming to this country based on his credentials and experience becoming a soccer coach by just not being a fit because, <laughs> you know, because of those differences in culture. So this is Soccer Coach California. 
They sense something to fear and try to mask their scorn for the aging immigrant with accent even thicker than his gait. But I can smell it on them, like the rich perfume worn by these power moms with their well-tanned, too-tight skin, or the executive cologne of their smooth husbands, all manly handshakes and lawyer smiles. I'm not what they want, not what their daughters want, some twenty-something SoCal college stud with beach-bleach hair and workout abs, knowledgeable about scholarships and summer camps, who'd never think to make a girl run laps when she forgets to care. These are people accustomed to getting what they pay for, and I'll be gone a few phone calls from now. But still they shy away as though they sense the man I was, can hear that stadium in Budapest packed tight, baying for my life, an opponent at my feet, his blood spread crimson on the hard-packed snow. Whoa, there's a difference there. (laughs) Culturally, what's going Uh, on? When I I shared that with someone who shall be nameless, Jim Dodge, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he he had difficulty with the final final image, you know, the blood and the snow, which is obviously pretty visual, you know, crimson and the white. And but it's like, why would you be playing playing soccer in snow? I go, yeah, I played soccer in snow. Damn, it's great. You know, you have a special orange ball, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, because otherwise you'd maybe see a couple specks at best. I remember as a kid, mm-hmm. I must have been like 10 years old, playing mm-hmm. an absolute blizzard one time. I was on defense, <laughs> and the snow just blowing in, and caked in white. Every caked in white. You couldn't tell one uniform from another. Just these shadowy figures disappearing, you know, suddenly loom out of the snow, you know, and you just tackle NMD, you know, <laughs> whether you, you know, tackle the referee, you know, it's just cause better be safe than sorry. In case it was an opponent going past you with a ball, you know, just kind of lunge any shadow in the snow. So. So, yeah, they play in the snow, although nowadays they you know, tend to have underground heating and so forth and so on. Oh, right. But there, there wasn't, which, you know, when I see American football and sometimes late in the season, you know, be in Pittsburgh or somewhere, yeah. you know, Wisconsin or something, and it starts to snow. Uh, oh. It's like that's that sort of smell. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, uh, I spent some time in the Merchant Marine was a radio officer, and it seems a long time ago now. And I kind of caught it at just as things were changing in the Merchant Marine, and so I, I count myself fortunate. Uh, Morse code, for example, is really not used anymore now with the satellite technology and so forth. But uh, I, I actually spent many long hours, you know, hammering out messages by Morse code and receiving messages by Morse code. And so the last ship I was on actually was being taken to scrap, and I knew it was going to be my last uh, voyage with this company anyway. So looking to have a souvenir, I took the Morse code key from that ship yeah. and, and have it with me still and actually uh, have it in my classroom at Arcata High. And so that's, that's kind of where this poem comes from. Um, so this is called Artifact. Why do I keep the ship's Morse key displayed on my desk? As a fanciful paperweight, sure, but for conversation, too, so that when students ask, I can half-disclose that other life, reveal I was not always this classroom creature pretending to care whether teenagers can tell it's from it's. 
Once there was another life of distress call adventure, of weighing anchor at dawn, bound for whatever lay out there beyond the calm horizon. Strangely, as I think about it, given I have uh, been teaching for 12, 13 years now, it hasn't generated too many poems. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, I don't know, perhaps teaching English and uh, looking at student poetry and uh, looking certainly at, at the poetry of masters from years gone by. Perhaps somehow it doesn't cross over that I write too many poems of my own based around what I do for a living. Um, but this is one that, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I want to say too much about this one. It, it came out of um, a specific incident with a specific student, and uh, uh, I hope it speaks for itself anyway. So it's, it's called Absent. For weeks afterwards, my pen would trip on her name in the roll book, my head half-rise involuntarily towards that empty desk. Others dropped, transferred, expelled, were summarily excised with one bold stroke, yet she remained a momentary reminder each weekday morning. Until today, tallying grades at semester's end, I suddenly, impulsively, gouged a horizontal line through her space, a mark dark and definitive as burnt black tire tracks cutting ruthlessly across a rain-slicked highway. You know, there's uh, something about that poem that uh, is uh, such a great, um, concise <laughs> uh, reveal of information mm. that when I've seen you read that, uh, people mm. are following it mm -hmm. and figuring it out slowly, and then that very last line, they go, wow, mm. and they realize mm. what it's about. Yeah. Seems kind of, uh, I guess that's what we all hope for, <laughs> is to bring that mystery mm. and, and reveal through the words, mm. through, uh, uh, as concise and as few words as possible, right? Um, Certainly, I think for myself, I know, I know, and I admire other writers who, for whom I suppose concision doesn't seem to be, um, what shall I say, as much a concern uh, of theirs. It's, it's not stylistically something they strive for necessarily. Um, and, and as I say, I've, I've heard wonderful work done and read wonderful work where um, it, it's perhaps more relaxed, uh, more open. But I, I do tend to write relatively brief poems, I find, and try, I suppose, to um, make them almost telegraphic. Maybe that's my radio officer training. You know, every, every, mm -hmm. every word actually counts when <laughs> <Right>. you're <laughs> sending a telegram. Right. And uh, the wrong word could really cause disaster. Yeah. There you go. Right. Good rule of thumb for poetry. <laughs> but yeah, thanks. That's a nice compliment. The idea of the reveal, I like that because because obviously it's it's not a magic show, and you're not wanting to mm -hmm. sort of trick people or da gotcha or anything like that. But mm -hmm. the idea that people are following along with you and and things are becoming apparent to the reader if he or she is paying attention. But still, yeah, I like that idea, especially perhaps in that one because there is that. 
for me, given the experience, that sense of something being cut off and suddenly, oh, shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> say that. Say that's not why. You know, I was talking to the gal the Friday afternoon, and she was heading up to Crescent City to with her boyfriend to spend time with her grandparents and just a really, really neat kid. And, um, yeah, coming into school on the Monday morning and, and getting the news. That's, and so to some extent, that's, uh, I suppose, what I'm looking for with that with that closing. So Yeah. Yeah. So. Great. That was excellent. Thanks. I was going to ask you that, uh, to me, that being a teacher is extremely important, that position in society. Um, but it seems like it's not really considered that way in America. We only hear about it on the news when there's like a contract dispute here. <laughs> I was wondering how you, uh, I don't know, what do you think about the profession yourself? Um, I think it's a high calling. I think it's, I can't think of too many things that are mm. more, mm-hmm. more important myself, you know? Yeah, I think probably most people as they look back over their own childhood or adolescence they probably remember certain teachers either for the right reasons or the wrong ones i mean mm-hmm. certainly being dragged through the uh, scottish public school system i mean I, I we still had corporal punishment when i was coming through there and um you know there's a couple of teachers i i can think of to this day who you know, quite frankly, were psychopaths, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, how the hell they ever ended up literally having power over children. Uh, It's just uh, a travesty. Um, But when my family moved from Glasgow to the suburbs, I was only six years old, and I was already several months behind in my reading compared to the kids in the suburbs, which I've always borne in mind because I like to think I'm a fairly bright person and and language is important to me I think I have a certain facility for language and and reading is really important and yet had my family spent three or four more years in the big city you know my my future and my life would probably have been fairly different based Mm -hmm. on environment so you know that as I said stayed with me that awareness that um, kids who are getting substandard education because of where they live uh, I think that's a very real issue. Um, but when I moved to the suburbs, I, I know there was a grade school teacher who spent a lot of time on her time after school working with me, kind of getting me back up to speed. Wow. And and then in high school, I know there was, a uh, again, an English teacher, and, and she, that's really, I think, when I was about 14 years old, I heard her read uh, Wilfred Orne's World War One poem, uh, Dulce de Coramast, um, which holds up, I think, to this day in terms of, of conveying the, the graphic horror of war, a poem written during you know, the 19-teens. Um, and she read that, and that was, I think, the first time I really recall going, oh, my, that, you know, what, what's that? <laughs> she was willing to do that, but she was willing to bring Monty Python recordings to the classroom. <laughs> and, but, you know, she was demanding, but she had a sense of fun, and, and she loved this stuff. That was the other thing that came across. And I think that's what people tend to remember from teachers who make a positive impact. So, yeah, that, that notion of it being a calling, I, I think, is very, is very real. And, um, but I think most, most intelligent, thoughtful people appreciate how crucial uh, education is, and, and not even necessarily just in a purely academic sense, or certainly not just in a GPA sense. You know, it's something I do try and get across to kids 
at the high school, you know, not to confuse their grade with their education. You know, mm. and, and mm. Not to imply that they shouldn't be a little concerned if they're in danger, perhaps, of failing sure. a class or not performing as well as they're capable. But um, I had a teacher when I was very early on uh, in my teaching, and he was um, actually a shop teacher. And I was just sitting, having lunch with him one time, and he said, you know, chances are when kids look back on your class, even if you had them for all four years, they're not necessarily going to remember a great deal of content, um, which is true for me with that English teacher. From I remember that poem. I remember the Monty Python, but I couldn't really tell you much more of what we did in the class, what, yeah. essay, what essays we wrote, so on. But I remember, I remember her, right. you know, and that's what he said. You know, they'll remember you, you know, for whether you were there being supportive, whether you were enthusiastic about your topic, whether you were knowledgeable about your subject, whether you were fair. You know, I mean, right now with my Arcata High kids, you know, we're, uh, we're reading the Scottish play. We're reading Macbeth. <laughs> great. You know, there are daggers in men's smiles. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm getting paid to read Shakespeare. <laughs> That's a pretty sweet deal. Right. <laughs> This is either seen as an S-C-E-N-E -E or seen as an S-E-E-N. I had to make a choice, and I went for the latter. But that's damn clever, you know. That's, that's, that's a word play. It's uh, <laughs> intentional ambiguity right there. <clears throat> Extra credit points. So uh, seen from Lois Bagel's Cafe. Out in the parking lot, lookalikes in T-shirts, jeans, and long straight hair a mother and her teenage girl shoot hoop. Inside, Aretha Franklin pumps from the speakers, hot as a fresh-brewed dark roast sitting on the counter. Coffee steams, Aretha moans, and as a girl banks in her mother's front rim miss, they trade a laughing, soft high-five, each one making the other feel like a natural woman. So I have one thing I want to ask you. Yeah. Open mic, Arcata versus Glasgow. <laughs> Compare and contrast. Hmm. I really didn't do much open micing in, in Glasgow. Uh, um, Glasgow has a hard-earned reputation, which it cherishes uh, for making the lives of performers of whom the city chooses to disapprove uh, a living hell. Uh, you know, I think. Anyway, it, was, it was basically in the, the days of music hall, I think it had the reputation of, yeah, okay, it might play in London, but just wait till you go north of the border, kid. And that, and that was the sense that if you could make it in Glasgow, you could make it anywhere. And, and if Glasgow loved you, then they really loved you, and they mm. were a great audience. But um, I don't know to what extent that holds true still. I mean, I think that's, I, I imagine it's still probably there, something of a holdover of that hard edge city, no mean city. Um, well, we had uh, that uh, that reading I was telling you about where locally here someone, a uh, young woman, got up and said, you know, I have a fear of reading and I'm reading this for someone else. And I, oh, and she read okay. and everybody afterwards was like, you're really good. And it's, you know, it's all right. Yeah. And they helped her and they cradled mm, her mm. as we would here in sunny California. Mm, and you mm. indicate that might have been different in Glasgow. Mm. Yeah, if you're fit to read it, sit the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, arcade, you'd have maybe the coffee shop, you know, with yeah. the mochas and the lattes yeah. for the open mic. And in Glasgow, maybe a different kind of liquid. Well, possibly? sure, right. Okay. Although, although there is, you know, up around the university, and it, it gets it gets mocked by much of the rest of the city. The west end of the city is the university region, and it's very it's very trendy, and it's got a little Kathy McBrio's, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's great, it's, it's right, fun, right. and the university and the parks, but it's it's got a kind of inflated sense of its own importance for sure, and so the rest of the city tends to have a kind of I don't know if it's even a love-hate or just a hate-hate relationship with that part of the city, you know, because it's it sort of sets itself apart. Um, mm-hmm. So there, I think you'd probably be fairly well received. Um, but if you're going to be a public performer, a musician, or something, uh, maybe just in the pub scene, then mm-hmm. then you might want to be fairly well armored, uh, either either in terms of your ego or perhaps literally uh, <laughs> 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 you know, but uh, i don't know it's, uh, it's yeah it's a friendly city <laughs> <laughs> or, or is that fortuna i can advisory All along this lost coastline, narrow afterthoughts of beach back onto sheer-faced cliff, and the sleeper wave which lurks, one breath back of the horizon, is bigger than you'll believe, much faster than you'll run. Wrong place, wrong time, and that ocean's joker will suck your carcass straight out of your shoes, no matter what you've planned, for later in the day. Memories of my mother. There is a special silence of half past midnight, and in the small room at the end of the ward, the six-year-old boy, long turned bald from chemo after chemo, will not survive till morning. His parents, worn under by their grief, cling to denial, but the child himself, like one grown old, knows it is time. You're there at the end, and afterwards, as the parents weep elsewhere, you bathe and prepare his perfect naked body, Magdalene and Christ. Weak light pinkens grey stone as the winter city struggles to awaken to one more day. You head for home, where your own son still sleeps, Dreams filled with football, years away from sharing what you know. Uh, This last one is dependent for its final effect on uh, the reader, or in this case, it would be the listener, uh, bearing in mind the title, uh, because there might be that moment, half-second moment at the end of, what the heck? And then, uh, alrighty, it's it's a reference back up to the title, um, and this is dealing with a kind of a, a weekly ritual for me. Um, but the title it needs to be borne in mind for full effect. Uh, minutes do not expire. Mm-hmm. 
I dial the numbers known by heart, and I'm connected to Scotland once again. My father comes on the line, and I struggle to understand as he struggles to remember. My mother takes a phone from him to recount another week of pain and worry, her weariness audible all the way to America. I murmur sympathetically, flipping the calling card idly between my fingers, and that is when I spot it, in small but solid print, the lifetime guarantee which all of us desire, but none of us are given. been listening to the Mad River Anthology with guest Ian McDonald. I'm Tim Ayers. If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. A reminder that Poets on the Plaza Open Mic takes place tomorrow night at Arcata at the Jacoby Storehouse, the second Monday of each month. Sign-ups are at 7.30 p.m. with poetry at 8. Also this week, The Accident Slam takes place at the Accident Gallery in Eureka from 7 to 9 p.m., the second Thursday of each month. So try it out at open mic on Monday and then go slam it on Thursday. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10.05 p.m. and is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University. (laughs) 